Amen. You guys can grab a seat. Um, I, I totally didn't realize I forgot to take my mask off when I was praying earlier, but that's kind of a strange thing. Like, I didn't notice it. Actually, the first time it happened was yesterday. Uh, if you guys know longtime Centennial members, um, Tim and Judy Erickson, Judy's mom passed away on New Year's Eve, so I was at a memorial service yesterday. And halfway through the service, I realized I'd left my mask on. And then it's one of those new, like, do I acknowledge it? Do I just take it off? What do I, this is a new thing. I've not, I don't know what the protocol is for when I forget. It's okay, we're making it through it, though. Um, We are in our second part of a little mini-series called Decisions and Destinations. Last week, we kicked it off, and here's what we suggested. We said, the decisions we make determine the destinations we arrive at in our lives. Obviously, there's factors, there's realities outside of our control that can sometimes shape the realm of what is possible, but with what in, you know, within that world that is possible because of the greater circumstances of our lives, we always have decisions to make, and the decisions that we make, whether it's how we're going to respond, what we're going to choose to do, uh, what attitude we're even going to have, the decisions we make result in the destinations we ultimately arrive at in life. In life, If we make good decisions, we're more likely to arrive at good destinations. And if we're making bad decisions, harmful decisions, hurtful decisions, we're going to end up in some undesirable destinations. But then we also said there's an inverse to that. If we're wise and we want to make good decisions, then we should make sure our intended destinations determine the decisions we make. If we have a clear destination in mind, that's going to make it a lot more obvious what decision to make in each moment. And so that observation led us to a pretty critical question. We asked it last week. We're going to dig into it a little more this week. That question is, where are we going? And I asked you last week to consider whether or not you know in your life or in the life of your family in 2021, where are you going? What are some of the destinations you're trying to arrive at? Maybe there are some relationship destinations that you have in mind. Maybe there's some specific healing or growth in relationships that you have in mind. Maybe there's some financial destinations you have in mind. Maybe you're in debt and you want to get out of debt. Maybe you're not saving and you want to start saving. Maybe you have some financial destinations in mind. Maybe you have some faith destinations in mind. There's something in your life, in your heart, that is uh, not the way you want it to be, and with God's help, you want to grow. You have a destination in mind. I would continue to encourage you to take seriously, do you have an image of what destinations you're trying to get to in your life? Because the clearer your destinations, especially if you determine those destinations with prayer with the input of trusted community of the body of Christ, especially then, those destinations are going to help you, guide you, make it easier for you and for me and for us to make the decisions necessary to get there. But today, what I want to talk about is that same question, but not necessarily just for you or not just for me, but for us. Where are we going as Centennial Covenant Church? We know that this past year, so much that wasn't planned, wasn't uh, uh, ex, you know, expected, so much that wasn't on our minds a year ago or a little more a year ago, so much got upended, and yet still some things stayed incredibly 
consistent as a community. And so considering how much has been upended in the year behind us, let's all the more consider where are we going in the year ahead. There's probably all sorts of specifics and details we, we can't possibly know. But we do know there are some general directions, some general ideas that we want to always be reminding ourselves of. Um, to get us into that, there's a scripture I want to read, um, some words of Jesus, some pretty harsh words uh, to a group of Pharisees. Jesus often had some harsh words to Pharisees. The Pharisees seemed to think that they had all of the things figured out. They had all the answers to all the questions, and they'd specified it, even, you know, to the tiniest minutia. And, and Jesus sometimes challenged them in that. And here's a, a passage uh, with some harsh words Jesus has to the Pharisees, but I want to highlight one uh, specific part of this passage. It's in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now, first of all, just general rule, you don't want to be on the receiving end of a woe from Jesus. Like, generally speaking, you're doing pretty good in life if Jesus isn't looking at you with a woe statement. That should be like life goals, 2021 life goals, no woe statements from Jesus to me. Second of all, Jesus is talking about the tithe. It's this ancient concept that if we really believe everything we have is given to us from God, then it's natural, it's kind of obvious to take the first 10% of it. Tithe literally just means one-tenth, it means 10%. To take the first 10% of it and give it back to God and the work he's doing. I actually was listening to the comedian Michael Jr. Anybody heard Michael Jr.? Nobody? Okay, go Google Michael Jr. He's hilarious, and he's a comedian, and he's a Christian, and he does like comedy sermons, and it's just beautiful. And he was talking, he's like, I don't know, when I'm talking about giving, some people are like, well, I tithe. And he's like, I don't know. I think tithing is just not stealing. I mean, if it's God's money in the first place, you're not like generous if you're giving the tithe. You're just not taking what's not yours in the first place. I was like, Michael, that's funny. You should preach. But I'm telling you, he said that. I didn't say that. He said that. That's his joke. But Jesus is saying that the Pharisees are taking this idea so seriously that literally they went into their spice drawer, they got out their little market pantry bottle of cumin, they dumped it all out, they weighed it, they scraped 10% of the cumin off to the side, they weighed it again to make sure. I mean, the, the word image Jesus is painting is a rather absurd image. I mean, think about the cumin you have and what it would take to, or mint. I've made this comment before, but Mint, I mean, the challenging thing of mint is not how to measure 10% out of it, but rather how to stop it from taking over every ounce of land in your backyard. Tithing on mint is kind of ridiculous because it's, there's way more of it than anybody could possibly ever use. And with that humorous word picture, Jesus puts this phrase. He says that you neglected the more important matters of the law. Which is really interesting because what, what Jesus is saying here is that in our lives, as we're trying to live lives faithfully following Jesus, in our lives, there are some little things that matter because the little things matter. 
But even though the little things matter, big things matter more. And as we're looking ahead in our shared journey as a community, it's important for us to ask the question, what are the big things that for us matter more or maybe even matter most for determining where we want to go as a community? Jesus said the little things matter. You shouldn't neglect the little things. But the big things, the more important things, they do matter more and they should come first. So I would like to do this, take a few minutes and look back at 2020. Oftentimes, in order to get a clearer picture of where we're going, it is helpful to look back and see where we've been. I'd like to look back at 2020. I'd like to celebrate a little bit of what God has been doing and is continuing to do in our midst. Then I'd like to remember some of the things that have not changed for us as a church. Even though so much around us is changing, I want to remind us of some things that have not changed. And then I want to look forward and considering where we've been, considering who we are, I want to suggest a few ideas about where God might be leading us. And then finally, I'm going to ask you guys to join me in making a a sort of a commitment for the next few weeks together as a church. So where are we going? We're going to answer that by taking a moment and saying, where have we been? So let's just, I want to take a couple minutes and I want to celebrate the year 2020. I know that a lot of us maybe would say, how could you possibly celebrate the year 2020? But in spite of how difficult it's been, there is a lot to celebrate. So first, just who are we as a church? A couple little numbers to sketch it out. We are a group of about 450 people, plus or minus. You know, there's always, you know, a core group and some people who are connected in more tangential ways. So we're about 450 people. We have about 20 ministry teams, like the four that we just mentioned this morning, about 20 different ministry teams that represent all of our shared ministry as a church. On top of those 20, we have about 10 local ministry partners, both individuals and organizations, as well as about 12 global ministry partners, again, both individuals and organizations with whom we share our purposes of ministry. The ministry exists both here in this building, both here in this community, and also out, connecting to many different communities, both in our region and around the world. One of the you know, most central ministries is, of course, our Sunday morning worship gatherings. Now, a year ago, we would have said that every Sunday, about 300, maybe 350 people gather here on a Sunday morning, and on top of the people who are here on a Sunday morning, we have about 20 people who join us online on any given Sunday. That was the norm a year ago. In 2020, our average was about 250 people worshiping online. For most of the year, nobody was in the room except the 10, sometimes 12 of us uh, helping facilitate the worship gathering. And then for this past few months, we've had a small percentage of people physically in this space, with the majority still worshiping virtually through our live stream. And so we've still been a community committed to gathering for worship and prayer and hearing God's word, but obviously the way it's happened has looked very different as we've flipped how many people are engaging virtually versus how many people are engaging in this space. And of course we have the question, well, what's that going to look like in the future? And if I knew, I would be very happy, but I don't know how long that's going to last or what it's going to look like. But I do know that that is a significant change in what our ministry looked like. 
Um, in spite of all this change, we did uh, a couple of little surveys uh, about our congregation, and there was one number in particular that really jumped out to me, as well as some other observations about how we engage in community as a church. Uh, we asked the congregation, hey, do you guys feel like this is a place where you feel um, included, where you feel like people want you, like you're known and welcomed here? And we were told that uh, among the dozens and dozens of churches who have taken this exact same survey, the answer to that question ranged from about 30 to maybe 50%. That a healthy congregation would say about half the people would say, yeah, I feel like you know, I'm included and it's somewhere else. Well, we found out that here at Centennial, um, 70% of the people uh, that responded, and we had a very good participation in the survey, 70% of us reported experiencing healthy inclusion in this community. And we felt like that was something to celebrate because we saw it as evidence that the 150 or so people regularly connected in a small group community, whether a life group or one of our prayer groups or one of our not completely formal, still sort of strong uh, relationships, uh, men, women, friends who have friendships that are forming their faith, about 150 people, which is a great group of people. We always would love more if ever you want to get connected to a life group, go on the website, fill out the form, little plug there. And then as well... About 150 people regularly serving on one of our ministry teams. And beyond that, there's probably even more people serving with one of our ministry partners. And we felt like, well, that's some really good numbers because that's a lot of our people who are connecting in relationship and who are taking the gifts God's given them and using them to do what they hear God calling us to do. And that was something to celebrate. And then, of course, all of that ministry requires many different resources, including some financial resources. And we just looked back and saw that this church was incredibly generous in the year 2020. Um, $33,000 was given to our benevolence fund, money that goes to directly supporting people with specific needs in their life. Not all of that was given during the year, but that's the amount, or was, you know, was given out in help, but that is the amount that was given to the Benevolence Fund in 2020. $112,000 from our general fund budget was given from the church to one of our many different local and global ministry partners. And on top of that money, which came from the budget, we give almost 14% from the budget to our ministry partners. On top of that, there was another $126,000 given beyond budget through the church to our ministry partners. Every time we took up a special offering or every time we highlighted something, you guys often give through our church to many of our ministry partners. And then as well as that, when you add in some of the other special giving that we've done and the general fund itself, in total, $1,125,000 in total was given by the community of Centennial Covenant Church. I believe as an act of faithfulness to God, as an act of worship to God, and as an expression of just how powerfully God has been and continues to be at work in and through our church. So Centennial Covenant, here's what I want to say about all that. This year was a mess. We know that. And yet still, we have enormous volumes of evidence that God has been working in powerful ways in the lives of our people, through the lives of our people, impacting this community and through his church, impacting the good of our neighbors in so many ways. So I just want to say thank you and well done. This is an awesome community to get to celebrate with. That even in one of the hardest years in many ways, we see evidence of an abundance of good 
fruit. You guys could cheer at that if you wanted. You guys could like clap and there we go. There we go. Thank you. Um, I really believe that is an act, that is evidence of our worship to God. Um, This is actually just a taste of it. We actually also published a little booklet called 2020 Ministry Celebration uh, on the church website, sentcov.org. One of the very first buttons you'll see, it's called This Week at CCC. This Week at CCC. Um, You can download the full five-page booklet with even more information about all of the things that have been going on at this church over the past year. I'd encourage you, get the booklet, download it, look through it. Let it be a guide for you to both thank God how he has been at work and pray with us as a community about how God might be working in the months and years ahead. So, that's a snapshot of where we've been this past year. Now, we've acknowledged, yes, some things have changed, but also some things have stayed the same. I want to talk a minute, just remind us about some of the things that are staying the same for us as a community. I've referred to this as, we've got the same mission, but we've got almost constantly changing methods. So here's our church mission statement. Hopefully this is familiar familiar to you. But we say that we exist, why do we exist? We exist to glorify God. That is our ultimate and first purpose. We exist to glorify God. How do you do that? You do that by following God. Jesus. Every decision we make, every destination we set in our lives that we set because we believe we're following Jesus to that destination, every time we do that, that is glorifying to God. What are some of the ways we know we're following Jesus? Well, one of the ways we know we're following Jesus is if we are on a shared journey. Jesus' intention is not for us to journey alone, Sometimes, again, circumstance demands that we have to in or out of various seasons. But Jesus' design is that we never journey alone, but we always share the journey. And what's this journey look like? It's always a journey of transformation. We live in a world where so many lies and false images of who we are and how we're supposed to live just pollute our hearts and minds day to day. God's desire is to transform us out of those lies and false selves and into the person God designed us to be, doing the work that God designed us to do. And what does that work ultimately contribute to? It contributes to us on this shared journey of transformation, working in God's mission to our broken world, because we know that God created everything good and whole and healthy. And anywhere that God sees hurt and brokenness and sickness, God wants to heal it and make it whole again. And that's the mission that he invites us to join. And this mission has not changed. Then we ask ourselves, okay, so let's get a little more specific. What are some of the core activities we believe we'll always do when we're carrying out this mission? And we've got four. We call them our priority callings. These are the callings we believe God says you should always be pursuing and engaging and and, and, uh, facilitating these things in whatever form your ministry takes. Here's our four priority callings. We put them into four dimensions to sort of describe a holistic life. The first dimension is we are called to an upward relationship with God, where we are experiencing God's loving presence in our lives. It's a source of life and strength. The withward dimension, where like we said, we're connecting with companions. We have people who are with us, who we say, that is a person I could call, I could wake up in the middle of the night, I could go to, I could be vulnerable and authentic with, God is calling us to be with 
people on this journey. There's the inward dimension. If we're glorifying God and being authentic with others, we will experience that transformation. Life transformation from the lies that we so often believe to the truth of who God made us to be. And finally, there's the outward dimension. All of the first three, up, with, and in, will inevitably lead us to take what we've been given from God and use it in an outward fashion to benefit those in the world around us. And who's this for? When does this happen? Is just this for people who are in the room, who call themselves Christians, who are part of our community? No, we believe that this is God's design for everyone, every day of their lives, everywhere they go, which is why we have commissioning services for both specific trips and ministry, for uh, vocations, for ministry teams, because we believe God is calling us to serve him every moment of every day of our lives. And then, of course, about a year ago, we brought it to a little finer point, and we said, well, what would be sort of the results, the, the uh, outcome, if we lived this way? And this image from the book of Exodus really captured our hearts, and we said, I think if our people are living for our mission, with our uh, uh, priority callings and minds, then what we would see is more people, more effectively and attentionally being like God by hearing and responding to the cry of hurting people. We learned in Exodus last year that God hears the cry when his people are suffering, and he says, I will come down and do something about it. And then after God promised he would do something, he looked at his servant Moses and said, because I'm going to do something, Moses, you therefore go. And this is God's intention for us as a church as well. And so then, you know, considering this past year, considering that all that hasn't changed, yet we recognize that some pretty seismic shifts have happened in the methods we use to provide this ministry, accomplish these goals as a community. The first one we've sort of already mentioned, it's this room. In the past, this room was primarily a space for gathering. It was a gathering place. But in this past year, our worship center was changed from a gathering place into primarily a recording studio. The majority of the use of this room in the past year was sort of a, a, a recording studio to take sound and video and pipe it out into the world. And that's sort of weird. We we like, we prefer to be here. There's a power to presence. And yet, if we can't be here, we can still use this. We hope and pray to accomplish the same purposes, even though it's a dramatically different method. We saw this in other ways, the same concept in other ways. Uh, a lot of those 150 people meeting in uh, groups and 150 people meeting on teams, they went from in-person groups, meeting in classrooms here, in living rooms or basements, in homes, to virtual groups. Our ability to be connected with one another changed so that we couldn't quite be physically together as much as we would like, but we still tried to learn ways to be connected virtually. And last but not least, uh, as we were caring for the hurts and needs of our church, we went from more care visits going to hospital rooms, going to the homes of people who are, you know, stuck in their homes for all sorts of different, including health reasons, from care visits to more care calls. Right when COVID hit and we were on lockdown, uh, we tried to count, and it was somewhere upwards of three, maybe even upwards of 400 different phone calls that we know among staff, council, and a couple dozen volunteers were made 
to almost every single person in this community just trying to check in, say, how are you doing? Finding out about needs, delivering groceries, helping get prescriptions, meeting every need we could possibly think of. Because even if we can't physically show up at people's doorsteps like we'd like to, we can still use the technology we have. And so what this year was, was a reminder that our methods of ministry can actually change dramatically. I mean, they can, just, they can just be wildly upended, but we can still accomplish the exact same mission. Which brings us back to that same question of asking ourselves again, if destinations determine our decisions, do we know where are we going? Do we have a clear and a specific answer to that question? Well, on the one hand, yes, we know that our mission statement, our priority callings, our desired outcome, that's where we're going. And the work is finding the specific expressions of those more general statements. Now, I don't, uh, this is again where I say, I don't know with much more specificity what that might look like in the future, but I want to suggest a few thoughts that have crossed my mind, that have been on my heart, uh, as we as a staff and, you know, the church members on the council uh, have been talking and thinking and praying about what might the future look like, and I want to suggest them to you so that we can do the continual work of saying, God, am I aligning my life just with my preferences or my comfort zone? Or am I aligning my life with what I believe you're calling me to do? So here's some thoughts I have about what might 2021 look like at Centennial Covenant Church. And the first, just to restate what's already said, I think Centennial Covenant is going to continue to be a place where the mission is the same, but the methods regularly change. I think as people who want to faithfully follow Jesus, we would do well to always ask ourselves about anything we're doing for ministry. Is this the mission? Or is this a method of accomplishing the mission? Is this the unchangeable thing that God has called me to? Or is this simply one of the ways that I can do what God has called me to. We're going to look at an example of this next week. Uh, Next week, we dive back into the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts 15. And right off the bat, the church has just been launched. The church is spreading. New churches are being planted all around the Roman Empire. And suddenly, a question comes up where the church leadership has to ask, is this the mission? Or is this one of the methods we use to accomplish the mission? And we're going to look at the way that the early church in Acts went about prayerfully determining which was which and how to move forward in ministry. I think we would do well to be people who remind ourselves continually we are committed to our mission. And we're okay with changing our methods because we live in a world where the methods are continually changing. Second, we've acknowledged this shift from in-person to virtual, a shift that will continue in some form for some amount of time. We don't know how long or how extreme. Um, But so here's the second thing that I think we want to have on our hearts. We want this to be a place where creating more connections is valued over filling more chairs. Now, I, I don't know if we've ever been a place that's like been all about like, oh, we just got to fill the chairs. We just got to fill the chairs. But I do know that there's some sort of a desire, there's some sort of a pull, there's some sort of a like, well, I like it when all the chairs are full. I like it when we can have more chairs in the room and there's more people in the chairs. There's something good and meaningful about that. 
But as I really stop and think about it, I have to admit, my goal, and I hope this is true, but my goal is never to get as many people in chairs as I can. My goal, and I think this is my goal because I think this is God's goal, is for people to share that journey of transformation, is for people to be connected with one another. Now, obviously, you could facilitate that by having more people in this room who might be connected, but we also know that you walk into a room filled with enough people, and you can disappear and be disconnected just as easily as you could be all by yourself somewhere else. So we have to be a place that reminds ourselves our goal is never just to have a certain number of people in a certain room, but our goal is always to create the most connections and the most ultimately life-transforming connections that we can possibly have. This would be a good way for us to ask, is this the mission or are these the methods? Is we can ask ourselves, is meaningful relationship coming out of what we're doing? If meaningful relationship is coming out of it, then it's accomplishing the mission. If it's just something we're doing because we're used to doing it, then it's simply a method. Last but not least, we've talked about this at different times and places, and this is always a hard one. It's a tricky one to know exactly how to phrase it and exactly uh, what the boundaries of it are, but I'll suggest it, and I'll, and I'll ask you to pray with me on this one. Um, we might be a place in the year ahead where those who already belong defer to the desires of those who do not yet belong. It's been said by many people, the church is probably the only organization that exists primarily for the benefit of non-members. Jesus was with 99 sheep. He was with 99 church members, and he was with them. You know, and they were fellowshipping and having a worship service and a prayer gathering and a potluck, and a, you know, and they, were, they were great. And what did Jesus do? He left them. He left them to go get the one sheep who wasn't with them. And Jesus calls us, if we're going to be his followers, to say sometimes what I would like, what I would prefer, the way I would like it, might not be the priority because if I just keep it my way all the time, those who are not part of the church, or more significantly, those who have never experienced God's loving presence, the joy and grace of his forgiveness, the true life that comes from knowing who he made you to be, those that haven't experienced that, I want to do whatever I can to help them find what I've already found. As the Apostle Paul said it, he said, I have become all things to all people. Paul's question wasn't, what do I want? His question was, what can I become for those who don't yet know God? I think all of this might be what we are even more needing to lean into in the year ahead as a church, as we seek to continue carrying out our same mission, our same callings towards our same desired outcome. So here's my invitation to you, because this still leaves a lot up in the air. What are the you know, strategic decisions that we're going to make? What are the critical programs we're going to either try to support and expand or possibly have to consider like ending or changing? What are we going to do? These are things we do every year. And so here's my request to you. Would you join me in praying specifically for that? Would you join me in praying for our church to say, God, show us with great clarity what it looks like to be a church committed to your mission at all costs? And here's the commitment that I've made um, that I'd like to invite you to make, and not just I've made, but actually I and the whole staff and the whole council have made this 
commitment, and we'd love you to, to commit with us to prayer. So, first of all, just will you pray with us? And we put it in kind of three ideas. First, would you commit to four weeks of prayer? Would you commit from today till four weeks from today saying, I'm going to make a concerted effort to pray for the future of Centennial Covenant Church, that God would make it clear where we should be going as a community. Second, uh, I've committed, many of us have committed to choosing one day a week that we're going to be specifically focused on prayer. And many of us have chosen not just to have one day a week, but to also engage in some form of fasting on that one day a week. So I'm going to be fasting and praying all day on Mondays for the future of Centennial Covenant Church. There's a lot of different ways that you can engage in fasting. Actually, the church council has had a really awesome email chain where some people were just like, tell me more about fasting. And other people were like, oh, here's been my experience. And other people were like, here's my idea. If, if you think to yourself, fasting, that's interesting. I don't know what that is. Who do you know in this community? Reach out to them, send some emails. Let's have some fruitful conversations about what it means to commit to prayer and fasting for a church. Let's learn together. But would you consider making some sort of a commitment to concerted prayer for four weeks, possibly with a, with a special emphasis on one day of the week, and possibly with some form of commitment to fasting. Fasting is just abstaining from something to remind you to be mindful of God's presence. And we'd actually love to know whether you do that, so we made a little form. Again, if you go to the website, uh, sentcov.org, the very first button you're going to see, it says, This Week at CCC. You'll find the link to that ministry celebration booklet I mentioned, and you'll find a link to a form you can fill out. Anonymous, if you want, you can put your name in if you want. And we'd love to just gather up how many of us are praying. What days of the week are we praying on? How many of us are fasting? And what ways are we fasting? We'd love to just be able to celebrate together. We as a community are committing to an intentional season of prayer because we know that the future is uncertain, but we know our God is certain. And so we're going to pray that he would lead us as a church as we move into the future. Please go to the website, fill out the form, get the booklet, consider where God might be leading us. Uh, there's also actually one other resource, the denomination, the Covenant Church, uh, put out a week of prayer booklet. They put it out every year around the new year. We linked that as well um, if you want yet more resources for how we might be praying together. To close, uh, I was thinking as, as I was putting this whole sermon together, and I know there's sort of a lot of stats and number and ideas, but I said, what, what does it really come down to? And the story that came to mind, um, it's from the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament you might remember we studied through that last year. Uh, and I think just the best scene in the book of Nehemiah, uh, so Nehemiah was called by God to a specific destination. God said, Nehemiah, go rebuild the city wall of Jerusalem. Some foreign uh, enemies had come and destroyed the wall and you know, burned the city down. And God said, Nehemiah, you're going to go rebuild the wall. And God confirmed that call by providing incredible support from some really high-ranking kings, uh, by providing incredible uh, provision for the resources necessary, the timber and the brick, uh, by providing incredible leadership capacity so Nehemiah could rally and organize all the people to do this really bafflingly giant engineering and construction project. And there's a scene where Nehemiah is in the middle of the work. He's literally standing on top of the rubble that's getting rebuilt into the wall. And in this moment, a group of men approaches Nehemiah, and these are the men who don't like where God is leading Nehemiah and his people. Because we know anytime we start going somewhere passionately following God's lead, we know there's going to be some people 
who oppose us, who stand up and say, I don't like what you're trying to do. And these men come up, but they're not, you know, they're crafty. So they're not just going to say like, hey, we want to stop you, Nehemiah. They present Nehemiah with a really pretty incredible offer, a pretty lucrative offer. They say, hey, this really important king wants to meet with you, Nehemiah. Why don't you come down from the wall, come with us, and come meet with the king? I mean, in some ways, it's, it's maybe an exciting opportunity. Okay, the reader, we know it's a trick. But from Nehemiah's perspective, it's a meeting with the king. It's an important figure. And so Nehemiah has a decision to make. He's on top of the wall, literally doing what God called him to do, but something potentially exciting just came his way. What decision is he going to make? And here's what Nehemiah says to these men. He says, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Nehemiah's decision was actually made pretty easy because he knew exactly what destination he was going for. What he was going for was rebuilding the walls. That's what God had called him to do. And he was going to stay focused on that. Or to use the words of Jesus earlier to the Pharisees, Jesus might have said that Nehemiah was staying, keeping his focus on the weightier matters, on the things of first importance. And so here's my hope. As we consider all of our decisions and all of our destinations in a year ahead, my hope is this, that we as a church, when all of the distractions and all of the noise and all of the different possibilities of the world around us come our way, I hope that we would be a church who with Nehemiah could say, we are doing a great work and cannot come down. And I want us to get that in our hearts because we have committed together to pray. And would you pray with me towards that right now? God, again, we know that we need to have a clear vision of where you're leading us. And with the broad strokes of our mission statement and our priority callings and our desired outcome in our minds, we want to get even more clarity and specificity and details about, God, what does that mean? What does that look like? What needs to change and be adapted? Where do we need to pivot? What needs to stay the same and be unmoved? God, would you inspire us all And strengthen us in a commitment to take the next four weeks as a dedicated season of prayer so that we can say with certainty, God, we are going where you lead us. So that we can say with confidence, God, we are doing a great work and we cannot come down. Amen.